to the Meeting Your Soul podcast. My name is Farah. I'm your host, and today's episode is all about the yamas. So the yamas are one of the eight limbs of yoga, and it specifically addresses how we're showing up and engaging with the world around us and how we are like incorporating this yogic philosophy in how we treat the collective and ultimately how we treat ourselves. Because as we all know, how you treat others is how you perceive and treat yourself. And there is a lot of common ground between both of these. And so I'll kind of address all of that as we move through this. If you are interested in learning more about the eight limbs of yoga or have no idea what I'm even talking about, um, I really do encourage you to be able to do some more research into that. And I'll give a little overview. So the alums of yoga is essentially steps to be able to ultimately reach enlightenment. And four of the eight limbs are addressing different meditation techniques to be able to achieve samadhi, which is ultimately bliss. And then you have pranayama, asana, which is the physical practice is one of the eight limbs, and then the niyamas and yamas. So it's more of this holistic approach to the yogic path and how that can be integrated into everything that you do. And it was actually what fascinated me when I started learning about yoga teacher training to be able to understand that there was so much more to it than just this physical practice and that we were able to be able to create this entire lifestyle change um, that was in alignment with really living in your highest self and that there was already this like structure, there was this approach, there was this ancient traditions that you could pull from that have been practiced for thousands of years. And that's why I wanted to share it with all of you because I think it often gets overlooked, um, especially within the yoga community. And so I thought that I would be able to kind of highlight some things that have really stood out to me and how I've been able to um, incorporate this into my life and what's really resonated with me. So let's go ahead and begin. Um, We're going to start again, like I said, with the yamas and the yamas are specifically of how we engage with the collective. How are we treating others? And the first one is non-harming, ahisma or non-violence. And I'm sure you can draw some conclusions (laughs) for how this would be taken into effect and how you could um, practice this in your life. Um, But I want the kind of more surface level approach is, okay, obviously nonviolence, but nonviolence in the physical way, which I think is what comes to people's mind, but also with your words, with your intentions, with your thoughts, with um, how you treat others in every facet, right? And... I think that nonviolence is a really low bar to begin with. It's this idea of like, oh, just don't hurt anyone. Well, what if we took it a step further to say like, to actually show compassion towards other people, to be able to see the differences, see beyond the differences of um, individuals, to be able to bridge the gap, to find connection, to be able to find unity in a world that's so drastically trying to pull us all apart. And a lot of violence really does stem from this idea of not understanding from fear. And it takes courage to want to see something from someone else's perspective. It takes courage to be able to open your mind and broaden your world's view, to be able to see someone else's um, point of view. And that's so much what Deborah Adel, so I'm going to be pulling a lot from this book, which is one of my favorites, Siyamas and Niyamas by Deborah Adel. I love it. And um, when she talks about Hizma, she says, you know, fear creates violence. We know the difference between fear that keeps us alive and the fears that keep us from living to create a world free of violence. And first and foremost is to find courage. 
As we walk into fears with both people and experiences, we find that our sense of self has grown. Courage is not the absence of fear, but the ability to be afraid without being paralyzed. And it comes from this idea of recognizing ourselves, what's coming up for us and being attentive to that. Like if I'm feeling stressed, if I'm feeling overwhelmed, if I'm feeling that kind of like shrinking feeling, or even like feeling like I'm getting backed into the corner for any reason, there's going to be, there's a potential for lashing out. And I think seeing that within yourself, being able to take a step back, to take a deep breath, to pause, allows us to come from a more conscious and compassionate place. And that also addresses kind of how we're showing up for ourselves. Am I giving myself the space to rest enough? Am I, you know, eating enough food? Am I hangry? You know, like there's so many ways that we can show compassion and um, real, you know, genuine nurturing towards us as individuals. And then that translates into our engagement and our interactions with other people around us. And like I said, like this idea of, Nonviolence is really kind of this low standard, but taking it further into this idea of really showing others love too. And it begins with ourselves. You know, self-love is something that gets talked about so much, almost overly talked about within social media and all these different, um, you know, social media platforms and outlets. And, but it's like, ultimately, what does that mean? Giving ourselves compassion, giving ourselves acceptance, giving ourselves love so that we're able to in turn, give that to the people around us too, from a genuine, authentic place, not from faking it, not from smiling, but like secretly talking shit in your head. Like there is an idea of like, how can I show and actually offer up compassion with a truthfulness, right? Like, I don't think that it's easy for us to always really look at someone that comes from a completely different background that's doing things that we don't necessarily understand or even agree with and really be kind to them. You know, I'm just keeping it real. Like, it, it's so easy for to us to insert judgment, to insert blame, to insert flaws of why we think that this person isn't enough. Like, what if you took that step back? What if you took that 30,000 foot view to be able to see there's so much more that's going on than just what we see on the surface and define that sense of empathy and relatability to be able to know we're all just doing our best. We're all trying and to be able to give people some grace, you know, and life. And that then again, we're doing that for ourselves. We can only do that for others if we're doing that for ourselves. So starting with ourselves and letting that um, really go into the world around us. Nonviolence asks us asks us to trust the other's ability to find the answers they're seeking. Nonviolence asks us to trust the other's journey and love and support others to their highest image of themselves, not our highest image of them. It asks us that we stop managing ourselves, our experiences and others and others experiences of us. Leave the other person free of our needs, free to be themselves, free to see as they choose. I am constantly considering this, incorporating this, really understanding like how can I be more deliberate about showing others kindness, even in the moments where it doesn't necessarily even make sense to myself. Okay. And I would love to hear your thoughts on this. If there are things that you like to do to be able to incorporate a little bit more love 
We learn compassion as we stop living in our heads where we can neatly arrange things and ground ourselves in our bodies where things might not be so neat. We learn compassion as we dissolve our personal versions of the world and grow gentle eyes that are not afraid to see reality as, our, as it is. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is it to be able to see someone in the beautiful mess that they are, but to fully accept them as that? And that includes ourselves. And that's something that's been really difficult for me to do is like when I feel messy, when I feel out of control, when I feel like not everything's orderly, if that's within my life and my engagements and my interactions, whatever it is, like it's really hard for me to show compassion to myself, you know? And so to be able to do that, to be able to kind of lean into the messiness, to lean into this idea that nothing is perfect. So why do we expect it to be? And then how are, are we then kind of, putting like kind of almost imposing our expectations on others and how they should be engaging with the world around them and how they're engaging with us. Expectations or resentments waiting to happen. And there's so much beauty in accepting someone for who they truly are. And I think that that is the root of ahisma. And I'm curious to hear what you have to say as well. Okay, next yama. See, do you now know why I'm like obsessed with these? <laughs> okay, next one is satya, and that's truth. And satya is one that I have been obsessed with since the moment I learned about it because I was like, damn, gotta keep it real, you know? Like, how real am I truly keeping it in every area of my life, in every facet of the way, right? So it's like showing up in the workplace authentically, showing up with my friends and my family in this genuine, like, truthful way. Like, I omit some details, like white lies, you know? Like, it's like, eh, they don't need to know the whole truth. You know, I don't want to hurt someone, you know? Hisma, like, lean into the hisma. I don't want to hurt someone. But there's truth, there's real, realness that comes along with this. And I think realness is the foundation of trust. When we are honest, when we are truly who we are, Someone can trust that they know that person in the depths of who, like how we are representing ourselves within our lives and that that's what bridges, um, uh, creates a foundation in a relationship. I need to trust who that person is on the inside and outside, not just the best version of who they want the world to see them as. And I love the jewel of satya or truthfulness isn't safe, but it is good. If we felt like we, there, the reason why we lie is because we feel that there's danger in the idea of us telling the truth. We don't know how the person's going to respond, how they're going to treat us, if they're going to reject us after we say the truth. There's this precarious nature that comes along with satya and this truthfulness that is often why people hide, why people conceal certain things and how they view others or the situation or how like, and how they interact. Like there's so many different ways where people kind of just like, you know, shield certain pieces of who they are because it's safer. It seems like more of like a, 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 like almost like a defense mechanism, but can be so harmful because, you know, the only way you can have a genuine friendship is if you are being honest with them and who you are. And I know that those, you know, I've talked about authenticity within the podcast with my friend Bianca. And like one of the things I respect the hell about her is that she is so truthful. She keeps it super 100 all the time. Like, like it or not, she's going to keep it real. She's going to be who she is. And she's going to state that with truth. And I think that there's a freedom that comes along with being yourself. When you allow all the layers to be peeled back, when you allow yourself to be really seen, yes, there might be some rejection. There might be some judgment, but like 
at least it's you. And, the, and then ultimately it shows who's supposed to be in your life and who's not supposed to be in your life. And that's what I love about the idea of truthfulness, of the satya, to be able to really allow all of this to become, and I think that, but I do want to state that there's some, there's satya, there's truth with compassion. So I think some people kind of almost use the mask of like, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm being honest and it can be hurtful. Like they use it as a, like almost a way to attack someone. And I think that that's like that its intention is key here. So like, are you telling the person the truth in order to help them grow, to be able to be able to create a more solid relationship with them that's firmed up in this idea that you know that they're always going to tell you the their honest truth and their perspective and their opinions, but then also being able to recognize your own intention and why you share it. Are you doing it to harm them? Are you doing it out of judgment? Are you doing it out of um, this idea to tear them down? Or are you trying to lift them up? And I think just being really mindful of that is the key within Satya. And also being able to recognize that, yeah, the compassion of nonviolence keeps truthfulness from being a personal weapon. And that's an idea. Like, what are we doing it for? Why are we sharing it? What, what is really the true purpose of why we're saying the things that we are? There is a profound courage to this kind of willingness to be raw with the reality as it is, rather than to run from it or construct a barrier to soften it. There was something in the fierceness of the way that people met the truth of their lives. They were able to contact life in its fullness. What are we so afraid of? What might my life look like if I were willing to contact truthfulness in every moment? What if you were able to tear it all down, to burn all of these constructs over who the roles and who you think people want you to be in order to be the most authentic and truest version of who you really are. And to be able to like shake all of that off, to be able to share your story, like that's what like really is unites us as a community as humanity is this idea of everyone has their story everyone's going to have some pitfalls everyone's going to have their high points but we all have a story to share and when we're able to share it especially those moments of struggle with the people around us those are what binds us all together that's what allows us to be able to see ourselves in someone else and that that's what resonates that's what sticks with someone and that's what helps us feel like we're not alone and that's what I love about Satya and like why I've leaned into it within the last few years of sharing my personal struggles and being more willing to be open about them. Again, like I said, I, I, it's, it's much easier for me to have the higher light reel to be like, you know, oh, this is the side of me where I have it all together. But like to be, to lean in like, shit, I got some bad days too. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. And, but that's all of who I am. And I'm proud of who that person is. I have no shame in who that person is. And if someone judges me or treats me differently because of that, then that's not my problem. That's theirs. I, my value is not determined by how someone else's views me. It dep it's de dependent on how I view myself. And so the more I leaned into self-acceptance and self-love, then I wasn't as, I was more resistant to be able to fluctuate how I viewed myself depending on where I was around or what was happening or who was, who was talking to me or who was sharing whatever they had to share. 
And I think that that's with truthfulness. Like now I, I am very honest. I am very real. Um, but at the same time, I kind of check myself to recognize what's my intention. Why am I sharing this? And where, where is it coming from? Is it coming from a place of love or is it coming from a place to hurt, to harm? And, you know, kind of marrying the two of Hisma and Satya is a really great way to consider this and to be able to kind of um, formulate it in your own um, way, in your own expression. So that each at the end of each chapter, they kind of talk about like ways to like um, ponder whatever topic for each month. Um, and each week it gives like specific exercises. One of the many reasons why I love this book. So it says... Um, to consider the words of Mahatma Gandhi and the risk he was willing to take in his experiment with truth. How much are you willing to risk for the victories of truth? Sharing your truth, sharing what your honest opinion is about something and standing up for it to believe in it. How much power is in that? And what are you like, what is your message? What are you wanting to share with the world? How can you, um, you know, create a community around you? that is founded in this idea of satya. All right. Okay, next one, astia. And it is um, mostly talks about non-stealing. And as you might um, consider this, um, is this idea of non-stealing with material objects, I think is what first comes to a lot of people's mind. But I think that there is the stealing of energy, stealing of time, some of the most precious commodities that we have within our lives the stealing of love, the stealing of, I think the stealing of time is one for me that rings so true. And I'm like habitually behind in life of like being late. <laughs> My bad. I know anyone around me, it drives them a little nuts or they're used to it, or they're also uh, a little behind schedule on a regular basis. So we have a common understanding, but you know, I try to be respectful. And I think that that's what it comes down to is like, are you being respectful? Someone's time and energy. Are you sucking the life out of people when you're around them? And more often than not, that's a trauma response because we're not, we have some lack in another area of our lives. So when we do have someone that's like present and is like loving and is listening and is there in this very, um, kind of like, you know, they're holding space, they're creating a container where you feel safe to express and share. It can be easy to be like, like dumping, you know, but that can be draining for people too. So like recognizing like, how am I being respectful of someone's boundaries? How am I being attentive to that? How am I contributing towards our relationship and partnership, or even just the singular communication and conversation? And, when we, and then she talks about this and this idea of non-stealing from other people and in our relation to comparison. So our attention on others from a place of discontent within ourselves can lead us to live vicariously through others to try to control, manipulate, or manage them to boost our own ego. Or how, perhaps we steal from others by not paying attention or discounting them. When we feel unhappy with ourselves and our lives, we have a tendency to drag people down with us to make snide comments that come from jealousy. Be a forklift. You should always be lifting people up. We forget that we are spirits having a human experience. This guideline asks us to view everything in our possession as something as precious that is on loan for us. And for the time that is on loan for us, we're asking for you to take care of it. Imagine what would happen if each time we took something, we gave something back. And that's why that like reciprocity, no, sure. I always fuck this up. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not going to like 
we're just gonna keep going. But this, oh, I'm like, I'm just gonna Google this shit. This is so funny, I'm doing this right now, but I'm not even gonna stop the recording and I'm just, cause I've messed this up so many times when I talk to people and I don't know why I can't get it right. Reciprocity. Reciprocity. Thank God I just Googled this because I, for some reason I had like was inserting like random vowels into it. Reciprocity. Reciprocity. To be able to practice of exchanging things with others for mutual benefit. And anyways, I know what it means, but I keep trying to use it in sentences. Anyways, <laughs> a little lesson in me being truthful and real with all of you guys. Anyways, but this idea of reciprocity. See, that's why. I don't know why. Okay, anyways, I'm going to let it be. You know what? You guys know what I'm talking about. But there is like this equal exchange of energy, of time and ideas and, um, you know, funds even to be able to, like, if someone takes me out, to be able to take them out, to have this exchange, to be able to give, you know, from give without any ex like expectation of anything in return, but then having the people around you that naturally also want to give, that also want to be generous with their time and with their, um, with their interests and with their, you know, minds, like I said, like this idea, I think what the most valuable thing that we have in life is time and to be able to kind of show up for somebody, to be able to give back to them, to fill up their cups just as much as they're filling up mine is so important to me. And it is something that, especially within the last few years, I find so extremely like important and valuable because like I care about how I'm making other people feel and the people that are showing up and that are, you know, caring for me, that are loving on me. I want to make sure to give them that same amount of love in return. And that's, I think, again, another way to be able to build a community around you that is founded in this idea of ahisma, nonviolence, of compassion, of truthfulness, of authenticity. And then here we go again with this idea of a mutual exchange of energy, of time to be able to value each other equally is so key. And that's why I love it. This is why I'm talking about the yamas, because there's so many different ways that you can consider it, that you can think about it, and how you can put it into practice. This one, so it also talks a lot about stealing from yourself. Again, we need to take time to rest and reflect and contemplate. Um, I just wrote, I did my podcast on solitude and giving back to yourself. You know, when we're constantly stealing our time, overbooking our schedules, um, not giving ourselves enough time to rest, to be able to constantly be pulling, to be draining ourselves. You know, we can also do this to ourselves and sometimes unintentionally, like we just are like have so much going on, we don't think about it. But to be able to also take time to recharge so that we can show up more fully for other people, that we can be more aware, we can be more conscious, we can be more mindful with every in engagement. And to like when we're there, we're coming from this place that we like want to be there, that we want to contribute, that we are wanting to be a part of whatever event or social engagement or um, even a phone call. You know, like how are you really being mindful of every single moment so that you're able to, so people see that presence, you know, and that's, I think ultimately how you root into presence is to be able to give back to yourself. And then when you're with someone, they have your full attention that you're fully, um, 
you know, engaged, to be able to listen to the words that they say, to have these thoughtful responses, to be able to go do activities together that seem fun, that like you're not distracted thinking about all the other things you need to do or, oh, I better leave soon. You know, I only have 20 more minutes. I have 10 more minutes. So like, I need to wrap this up, you know, like that lack of presence is where people feel like it's a shallow connection or there's not really anything there. Like they're they're somewhere else. They're not really here. And we can feel that no matter what anyone says, you can feel that with someone else when you're around them. And I think that that's a night that comes from, it roots from this idea of stealing from ourselves, not giving ourselves enough time in the first place. Okay. We could talk a little bit more about this, Ben, but we're going to go. And also, actually, I will touch on one more thing is really to think of gratitude, to be thankful you know, like the uh, thinking about that. Um, oh, I'm going to do it one more time. Reciprocity. Reciprocity within a relationship. Reciprocity. I'm going to get it. I swear I really will. I tell you, I actually do have a pretty good vocab. I'm just like obsessing because this has come up multiple times. But reciprocity within your relationships because there is, it's really e easy to focus on what someone's not giving you in return to be able to tell, remind people of how grateful you are for them, how, how grateful you are for whatever they're contributing within your partnership and relationship or friendship, and that you are aware of it, that you are thankful for them and how they are giving to you. And also then recognizing how you can give back to them in a really, um, thoughtful way like it's not like oh I'm just going to do these things because I feel like I need to or oh, I'm just going to give money or whatever it's like no like being really um conscious and thoughtful and intentional about how you show people that you care and that's what I think allows friendships to last you know lifetime and that there's always this equal exchange from both all right brahmacharya so this one actually um, relates to non-excess. And Brahmacharya reminds us to enter each day and each action with a sense of holiness rather than indulgence. So this can be like, and it talks about the sacredness of life. This can be, you know, brought up in a lot of different ways. Um, it's this idea of like, almost like greed, you know, like, there's never enough. Like when we come from this idea of scarcity, of this idea of lack, there can be, we're never fulfilled. There's, there can never be enough. We always need more. And Brahmacharya reminds us that when we simplify, when we take down everything, when we really peel it all back, there's, it's, we can live a very simple life and still be satisfied, that we can still be content, which is um, associated with Santosha, which is one of the Niyamas, but we'll talk about that next. But or in another podcast, but this idea, we have to be able to discern between what the body needs in the moment and the story the mind is telling us. And like what sometimes when we feel like we can, how can we honor everything as sacred? Whereas excess overdoes us, overextends us and takes away from ourselves. Seeing everything as sacred finally roots us and balances us. 
And when gratitude and wonder sit in the heart, there's no need for access. Like, how are you viewing the world? How are you viewing the things around you from a place of appreciation, of a place of gratitude, from enoughness, that there's more than enough to go around. There is abundance that flows through me in the world around me, that what I have, I'm grateful for each piece of food that enters my mouth, that I don't need to like indulge in like into like this like huge meal or maybe into like eating to the point of feeling overstuffed because I am appreciating and savoring each item that I have in this moment. This can come into material possessions. This can come into relationships. This can be applied to sex. This can come up in a lot of different areas, okay? So I believe that when you come back to the root, the sacredness, this idea of non-excess, which then in there is enough, is like how I then like kind of create the positive switch for that, is like how can I be grateful for what I have in front of me to feel that there is no lack, that everything that is in front of me already satisfies all of my desires. And that's, I feel like that's the like key to finding more abundance. That's how more flows to us is by recognizing what we already are in possession of. And that's difficult to do, especially in our world of consumerism and never having enough. Like, I feel like more people than not always feel this idea of discontentment of this idea of like, like, of like wanting to consume, wanting more because we don't feel like, because we're trying to fill a void. We're trying to fill something within us where we feel like we're not getting enough in the other places in our lives. And that might be with the materials or whatever, what have you. But I think taking a step back to be able to reposition your viewpoint from a place of abundance, from a place of surplus, like it's all flowing to me. I have like food in my fridge. I have clothes on my body. I have a roof over my head. More of I, I write a gratitude list every day. I, almost every single day I talk about how grateful I am that I have a roof over my head. I am like, it is something that is commonly misunderstood. Like I was like, taken for granted within our lives. I have a bed to sleep on. Like when I first moved on my, on my own, I didn't take any of my furniture. So I literally had to start from scratch with everything. And I had like two chairs and a, like a, uh, a carpet or like a rug. <laughs> it's actually in the room right now. I was just like, yeah, it's really soft though. And, um, when I let go of all of that, it was a true release for me. Cause then I was like, Oh, I was grateful for every single thing. And, and then I recognize even within that partnership, like losing the consistency, the support, the, um, you know, extra shut of hands with childcare, all of it, everything was sacred to me, every single thing, like to even just be able to go grocery shopping, to have a few moments to myself, to take a bath, to be able to like recognize that nothing is given, that it is all earned. And I will never be more appreciative than I was during that time. And I think that that has instilled in me and always will this idea of gratitude for everything that I have, because I know that it can so easily be taken away. And when we enter into that mindset and really allow that to be what reigns over us, then each moment's a gift, right? Even life, each breath, each second that we continue to live is a gift. And, and then that everything's a miracle. Everything is enough because we're alive. Right. And this is one of the, um, exercises that it describes 
from the yamas and niyamas. This week is non-excess. Live in non-excess. Eat, work, sleep to the point of increased energy and before the lethargy of excess sets in. Ponder, ponder the words of Jensai, a Japanese Buddhist monk, who said, The point of life is to know what's enough. For this week, know what is enough and stop there. Practice pleasure without excess. Ooh, that's a hard one, right? Like, pleasure without excess. And again, like I said, this can apply to every area of your life, work, like, relationships, partnerships, how much you eat, how much you indulge in any of these earthly pleasures. Like, recognizing where, when do we go past that point of enough? And, like, where do we just do it because we're used to it or we have it, you know? And, like, how can we scale back so that we can be able to, like, really sincerely be appreciative of everything that comes up? Okay. Aparigraha, which is our last yama. I hope you guys are enjoying this as much as I am. Okay, non-possessiveness. Aparigraha invites us to let go and pack lightly for our journey through life, all the while caring deeply and enjoying fully. What if we could trust life like the we trust the breath. What if we could take in all the nourishments of the moment and let it go fully, trusting there's more nourishment will come. Ooh, that's also, man, non-possessiveness um, is one that, you know, there's so, it's so hard to do. It's so hard to let that grip go. I'm like not one to easily like, <laughs> dis like dis dismantle things. Like I like, you know, it's like, to let go of something, it just, there's a lot of fear that gets brought up for me. It always has. Um, and constantly letting go of like partnerships or even like jobs. When I would like leave a job, I'd be so scared. <laughs> I'd be like, let me make sure, let me have all this taken care of. Like, I don't want them to be hate me. I don't want them to be mad at me. And so I'd always be super conscious of like how I ever exited a situation because I truly do care. And I don't ever like, I don't ever step into something that I'm not fully passionate or like, um, like that I don't like if I don't give a damn about something then whatever but like if I give a damn I like I give my full heart like I'm like all I'm pouring everything like I'm fully there and so that's within my partnerships my friendships my relationships my you know career everything and so then when I pull that back when I even just like re restrain it a little bit it's really hard for me and a part of this book, it's like the by the but the nature of the realm of a parigraha is impermanent. Everything changes. Nothing stays the same. If we fall back into the breath and watch the belly rise and fall with each inhalation and exhalation, we can feel the truth of the transience of these things. And like, it's so true. If you hold on, just like the breath, when it's held for too long, things can, the things that nourish us can become toxic. I'd much prefer to let go when I know for sure what is coming and when I have to let go, I want to somehow stay connected just in case I want it back. To let go completely feels like a suspension in the void. Oh, see, that's what I'm feeling. Like to truly let go of something is like there's unknown. There's a fear of unknown. What's next? What could happen? Now I'm changing. I'm shifting. I'm shaking everything up. So how is this going to change my life? My like my like in, like um partnerships like all of it like there becomes this like it's like I'm stirring up everything like I'm shaking up a snow globe I'm seeing everything like all in the air 
And it's like you're trying to grasp for each thing to make sure it gets gently placed down exactly where it was before, like where you think it should be. And it's like there's a trust that comes along with the Parigraha to truly like let go in order to give into the divine to whatever kind of, you know, overseeing source that you believe in to f allow it to fall back in place. And so much of when we take risks, when we make, go through big transitions, we have to let go. We have to like clear out some of the energy in order to invite into the new in order for change to occur we have to change like we have to stop doing what we've done in the past and uh, in this book it was talking about you know uh, trapeze artists they have to let go of the first bar and fully to be able to grab onto the next one mm. but then that little those few moments when they switch between the two how do you not let fear creep in how do you not allow yourself to think of all the bad things that could happen? How do you not let your thoughts and your, and your feelings get in the way of you moving, transitioning smoothly into the next chapter? It's scary, but it's so essential for us, for growth, to be able to become the next version of ourselves, to be able to move through different chapters, to be able to take that next leap into whatever you're doing in your life only can occur once we let go of once what once was. And I am, you know, extremely grateful for the track record that I do of like taking these big leaps and believing in myself and being able to get the results that I was hoping for, you know, or some version of them. But, you know, if you never take risks, if you never, you know, really step into the ring of life, then it's really hard to know if you're really going to make it out or if it's going to work out. But giving yourself a lot of love and kindness in transitional phases is key because it's not all going to be perfect. It's not all going to be super smooth. But what I can say is that if you believe in your heart and you're, and you're getting guided and you're getting tugged in a certain direction, there's a reason why. And to let go, to be able to really believe in whatever your intuition is guiding to you, that inner wisdom that resides within you, it's never led me astray. I can tell you that much right now. But to know yourself, to know what you need, and to be able to be guided as a part of that journey. And then it's part of that path, the yogic path, these yamas, like this is why this is so potent within our lives is because we can all consider a time where we've had to think about these concepts and really had to be honest with ourselves about them. And it's like, how are we doing this with intention, with consciousness, with mindfulness to be able to say like, I'm moving through life, constantly taking these into consideration and like exploring all that has to be that is like all that life has to offer so that I'm able to like say at the end of my life, I did it. I did what I was supposed to. I took the risks I was supposed to. I showed up for people. I was kind. I was compassionate. I was honest. I was authentic. I didn't overindulge. I didn't go too far. You know, brahmacharya, I was able to like ha have every single moment was sacred to me and I appreciated everything that came my way. Like, and that I didn't take from others more than what I was willing to give. And that I trusted to let go when the time is right. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. It's the path. It is the way. But it's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. I'll tell you that much right now. And it's one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why I wanted to share this with all you. This is what Aparigraha. Our expectations keep this captive, captive and often disgruntled. Yet when we choose our attachments rather than our freedom... 
It's so easy to stay comfortable. It's so easy for us to continue with what is fam like familiar and what has been known. How many suitcases full of expectation, tasks, plans, resentments, and unforgiven moments was I toting around with me every day? Oh, like that's something all on its own. How much are we holding on to that's not serving us anymore? How much are we clenching? Because it's like, if we, it's scary to let go of. I don't know what my life would be like if I didn't have this. I don't know what my life would be like if I didn't have this relationship. I don't know what my life would be like if I didn't have this career. I don't know what I, I would like my life would be like if I didn't uphold this role that is expected of me and that I've built my entire life around. That is all ego. That is all what was, what we're trying to present, who we think we should be. But when we take the layers off, when we let go when we allow ourselves to be authentic and true and honor our satya, our truth, and all that we do, that's the true yogic path. That's when we're really living in alignment with why we were here on this earth in the first place. And this is going to vary for each person. This is different for everyone. This, these get applied in so many different ways and everyone's going to read it and think something differently. So I really encourage you to explore this on your own. Think about this and like, 30,000 foot view, broad sense. Like, okay, this is what it means here. Now I'm going to think of like three or four examples of how this applies into my daily life. How can I practice this on a day-to-day -day basis? How can I practice and embody these philosophies within my soul, within my own heart, within my own life, and also how I'm treating those around me? And I would be very curious to see how things shift for you and how they change. I know they did for me. And this is why I wanted to share, why I felt it was important and pivotal. And my evolution was following these principles and being able to really seriously consider how I was appearing not only on my map, but also off, more off than not, than on. <laughs> okay? Thank you so much for being here. I love you already. I'm so grateful. So grateful for everyone that listens. You don't know how much this means to me. This is my heart's pouring. This is my heart's desire to be able to share these um, truths, these lessons, these wisdoms that are not my own. These are what I've learned from so many teachers before me. And I am just trying to share my own unique story and how they've set and really impacted me on such a deep level and how they've benefited my life so that hopefully they can also benefit yours.